Welcome back to uh, Planet Product Owner. This is Scott. I took a little time off from the podcast to uh, do some family stuff, and I've been away a little bit. So, in thinking about that, I'm trying to help, uh, you know, help with the cadence again. And looking at kind of the coming near future of events for me, it looks like I'm likely going to have to cut back a little bit on the frequency of these episodes for just a little while. And I want to take a little time and reconsider what the uh, direction is that I'm sharing with you guys. Um, but today's, uh, today's episode is going to be one that, uh, I've been thinking about doing for a little while, but kind of in bits and pieces. So I think I've put together something kind of coherent because there were a lot of thoughts that went into this episode and based on some uh, feedback that I've gotten and some questions from some listeners and things like that, I wanted to go ahead and dive into that. I know that we had talked earlier about maybe doing an episode uh, about the story map, but I think I'm going to hold off on that one. Um, for just a little bit, because story map is something that you can you can really kind of have your own ideas for it. I could share with you what I have developed and designed on my own, but I'd rather you pay for it. I'm just kidding. But um, I, maybe I'll dive into that one later. But this is one that I think is going to address a couple of three or four questions that I've had from listeners, and I can wrap this up into one episode. So, um, So here we are. Today's uh, episode is probably going to speak to product owners, scrum masters, dev team members, and organizational leaders. Um, you may find this intriguing, so let's get on the journey. Um, so let's start with this. I know you've walked into a store or been in a mall or something, you've been shopping, and you see all this stuff that's sitting around on the shelf or hanging on the rack, right? Have you ever stopped to think about while you're walking through this store just about the money? that's tied up in the inventory and the products that are sitting on that shelf. Uh, the reason that I'm kind of putting you in this mindset already with that question, um, I want to talk about lean principles for a minute and give you some basics for the topic today that we're going to discuss and address specifically today. I want to just give you some background on what is referred to often as a pull system. Okay. Uh, I promise we're going to get to the chunk of the content here, but there is some lead up and lead into uh, the topic today about Kanban versus Scrum, which is what we're going to we're going to dive into that a little bit more and help you become a more effective uh, leader or implementer, I guess, of Kanban. If you're coming from a Scrum, or even if you don't even have uh, you know experience in the Scrum, maybe this will help you as it relates to software development. But there are some things that are not related to software development that I would like to discuss with you just to give you a little background. So the lean pull system concept or principle was one that kind of realized uh, the need. It, it kind of came out of the realization that we needed to move from a push to a pull. So in other words, you know, looking at that stuff that's sitting on the shelf all the time, you got a lot of inventory money, uh, a lot of money tied up in that inventory, right? And so this concept has been kind of around since, I guess, the 30s or the 40s. Uh, when manufacturing was kind of, you know, at its height there. So a pull system is basically a lean technique for reducing waste, right? You got a production process, you want to reduce waste. So applying a pull system allows you to start new work when there's a demand for it. So essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I've got a just-in-time concept, right? It gives you the opportunity to reduce overhead, optimize storage costs, uh, you know, having this uh, just-in-time concept 
gives you uh, an application there that says, okay, we're only going to produce what is needed when it is needed. So a work item has to be in process only if there's a demand for that item. That makes sense, right? This is different than what we think of a mindset or a method of just in case. You know, just in case I want to have um, 20 gallons of water stored up in the garage, right, in these containers. But little did I know that 20 gallons of water in those containers might go bad before I use them. So I got a just in case there, you know. Uh, if I if I just stored three of them, then I'm not wasting the other seven, and the chances of using those three immediately are probably going to be a lot greater, right? So that's kind of a cheesy example, but that at least gets you in the mindset of what we're talking about. So hopefully you're starting to see the shift in this paradigm, right, in the mindset that's got to be in place in order to think lean. We're, we want to think lean. I typically end um, these episodes by wishing you a safe and fun lean journey because that's the journey that we're really on. Remember, I've said that my personal definition of being agile is to just learn how to work better. And this is why I say that is because it's a mindset, right? So when we talk about practical ways to work better, let me give you a real world example about becoming more efficient and standardizing what we do, which is also kind of part of the deal. My oldest daughter, um, she's 21 now, great, great kid, good person, takes care of her business, all that stuff. Really, really proud of her, particularly overcoming this thing called ADHD that she was diagnosed with when she was young. So I found out when she was young in school, she was really having trouble finishing these math sheets. Y'all seen these math sheets, right? It's got like 27 problems on it or something, and it's ridiculous, and it's just perception overload. Well, if you're like me... Um, the educator of the family, I want to be in tune to the needs of my kids, right? And she was having trouble finishing these math sheets in class. And even when she brought them home, she had major trouble with this thing. It was a definite struggle for us. And I adopted this technique that I think I read about somewhere to help. I didn't invent this, but I did tweak it and inspect it and adapt it, of course. I took a piece of paper and I cut out a corner of it so it would cover up the whole page, except it would only expose one problem at a time to her. So when she's looking at the page, she doesn't have that uh, perception overload first. So we removed all of that stuff. But when she completed the problem and she slid the page on top of it and she just kind of moved it over to the next one, she began to see she was actually finishing one before she was working on the next So this helped her so much in confidence. She was able to actually see her completed work. She was able to see the very next thing in front of her without seeing the entire page, okay? See, the issue she was having is it was just so much work for her to do that it appeared to be overwhelming to her. So that perception overload kind of kicked in and she was intimidated by the entire sheet. But if you take the approach of smaller batch sizes and you translate that over to what we're doing, it was a lot easier task to take on and it made completed item, items to her visible, and that was a reward for her, right? So that brings me to another item that I quickly kind of want to cover with you. And yes, I'm promising you I'm getting to the Scrum versus Kanban thing, <laughs> but I'm building the episode, so hang tight. Here at Planet Product Owner, I just want to try to expose you to all kinds of things in the lean, agile world. Uh, and this is one that I want to cover kind of quickly if I can. And it may not seem quickly, but I hope it is. 
So a few episodes ago, I talked about the 5S approach to cleaning my garage. That threw a few of you for a loop. I got more than a couple of emails on that. What the crap are you talking about? So let's chat about it for just a minute. So the 5S concept came around with uh, with Toyota, they had kind of a suite of methods and principles to help workers become more efficient. So I'm going to touch on these items quickly and let you uh, look up the rest of it for yourself for those details, but just to expose it to you. And if you find it interesting, as I do, you can go out and check it out for yourself. But as I describe these items, what I want you to think about is not just in terms of cleaning out the garage or straightening out your toolbox or whatever. I want you to think about your day-to-day operation. Exchange, rakes, and shovels and buckets and hand tools with items like the board, the lanes you have in Jira or Rally, your product backlog, your stand-up, all your ceremonies, pretty much everything you do. So the 5S is basically translate over to sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. So when we talk about sort, we're talking about defining items of purpose. If I haven't used it in a year, I toss it. You've heard that before, right? If you haven't used that thing in a year, you need to get rid of it. Uh, But if it's something that I've used in the past pretty frequently, I still may need it, or at least I think I do. So I'm going to put that away for another time. I'm going to hang on to it, right? But at least I'm sorting it. Then the next step is to set in order. So you want to group what you need based on when you need it, maybe, or group it based on its function or whatever. You add some logic to what order this tool is in and where are the most frequently used tools or things that you need. And are they in some kind of logical place? That's kind of what you're doing in the set step. Then the next step is shine. This is what I think of as the inspect and adapt part. So you clean and inspect the tools. That's a good idea because you get to throw crap away that you never got to use before or you never never really needed, you thought you needed it. Um, But you also get to fix what you still need if it's broken, right? Or even replace it. Um, Then standardize. Once you get these items under control... You want to standardize it. And why? It's because, here's the thing, once you standardize it, and you think of our work like spreading it across the team, then the garage, the stations, the art, the organization, whatever it is, you kind of get that idea, right? But think about it from like a UI UX perspective or from a servicing perspective. So if I go to a Whataburger in Alabama, I want the same Whataburger in Louisiana. I want something repeatable because if it's repeatable, it's easier to support right? So then the last step is sustain. Once you have standard procedures or standard layouts or standard themes or standard content structure in place, uh, you want to be able to repeat them, but you also want to know how to support them again. So that's why it's important to kind of get your routines down, just like your share care time with your sponsor, your daily backlog time, your, your elaboration periods, your three amigo session, if you're using that, all those ceremonies that take place, right? So that's just kind of part of sustainment. We want to make sure that we're, we're still flowing and we're not, um, you know, blowing up the whole plan with things that are out of order. So there, I set the stage for this part of the journey. Now, you uh, have some kind of basis, I hope, some of the mindsets and methods behind assimilating into a lean culture. I hope that this podcast and this episode particularly is going to help you in that. And what I want to do is dive into the details of Kanban in the next segment. So hang tight. Now, we've covered some of the fundamentals about lean, and these things can be applied uh, the same in manufacturing and in software development. Uh, 
I really think it's important for you to understand these concepts, and and but I also want you to understand that they're very much twisted in a lot of cases and taken out of context to make them fit the mold in order to fulfill an agenda today, uh, in particularly in today's software development life cycle and some of the shops that we got, right? So that's the disclaimer for you. And yes, if you're an organizational leader listening today, I said that for you specifically. It's not like the teams don't want to follow the book. The teams are trained. They're well-versed. <laughs> that's what they want to do, okay? Um, so... Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about Kanban. Kanban literally translates to visual board. Okay, just there's your little nugget for the day. This principle is used to bring tasks to the team so they know what they should be working on next based on what we said in in the first segment, based on demand, right? So let's go back to the items on the shelf. We don't want all that wasted inventory on the shelf. So we bring in just what we need to get the next set sold or delivered, right? So produced, whatever within the context of what is needed next, that's what we're trying to do. And that way we reduce or completely eliminate in some cases waste, right? So Kanban, the intent really was to provide a continuous delivery pipeline for producing things or widgets in order to reduce cycle time and improve flow. So it's designed, again, to provide fast feedback, as with most of your Agile methods. Um, The idea is that we have a continuous flow of work. So in order to maintain that life cycle of continuous work, there's no time boxes in Kanban for anything. Um, You know, you got tasks, um, you've got work items, you don't really have sprints. So um, here's some of the attributes, I guess. So the tasks in Kanban methodology are usually a little larger Um, and there's usually fewer than what you may have in, you know, your traditional, uh, scrum methodology, right? And so there are ceremonies that are optional. It's not part of the framework. It's not part of the mindset. Um, in fact, some Kanbans don't even have these ceremonies that we talk about that we celebrate so much in scrum. Um, average time to deliver is really the only thing that we're measuring, we're, we're, I mean, I'm not saying we're not measuring anything else, but I am saying that average time to deliver is what we're looking at. We're not talking about points, okay? The reason is because we're working on typically things that are typically predictable, right? I mean, usually it's predictable stuff that we're working on or stuff that we're familiar enough with um, to get the work done. So I'm hoping you're starting to see the difference between Kanban and the purpose and intent uh, as in kind of comparison or contrast, I guess, to Scrum. So really there are only four rules, three or four rules in Kanban. Uh, visualize, limit, optimize, and improve. So we're talking about visualizing production. These uh, Your work items get uh, divided into tasks. Um, so basically it's like this. If you could imagine, you know, somebody writes up a, writes up a card, um, puts it on there and says, we need 10 widgets, put that card up there, you put that wall on the board, and that has some kind of categorization that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, That goes up on the list. The priority is set by classification. The team starts working on it within the constraints of limiting, which is what number two is, limit. We're going to finish what we started before we pick up something else. You got to finish it. You know, we're going to finish this thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't work on parallel things. We can work on parallel things, but I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We have to limit what we are working on in parallel. 
The third thing is optimize, and of course we want to do that, and the way you optimize this is you measure cycle time. That's like average accomplishment time. So, for example, card comes in, it hits the board for this work item. It takes you five days to get that thing all the way through your process or all the way through your cycle. You know, if that's a five-day average cycle time for everything that you have in there of similar work items, then um, let's see if we can get that to four and a half days or see if we can get it to four days. And then at some point, you'll be at this optimized rate and improve. I mean, improve is is the final thing. Um, becoming lean is all about improvements, and improvement is something that we certainly can't uh, can't dismiss as part of that process, right? Those are the rules. So you visualize it, you limit it, you optimize it, and then ultimately you improve it. Now, you got a basic conceptual understanding, I think, of Kanban after explaining this to you. Uh, this is probably a little bit different than what you're dealing with with Scrum. I want to dig in a little bit deeper into the model, though, in this segment so we can answer a few questions that you probably already have about this since I've explained it this way. I'm sure you're wondering how this relates to what you're currently doing in Scrum or other Agile methods. So let's talk about the work items a little bit and understand how priority is defined for them. But before we do that, I want to drop a bomb on you, okay? There's no product owner role in Kanban. Ooh, yikes, Scott. What, are you serious? (laughs) Now, you could be a product owner in a Kanban, but I want to help you understand something here. Um, In just a few minutes, I'm going to dive into this a little bit more, but your question is probably going to be, uh, without that role, who determines what we work on next, right? It's a great question. So in the case of Kanban, there's, and this is, again, Scott's translation here, just to kind of keep it real world and keep you in the art, not so much in the science. There's no who in determining the priority. Well, not necessarily, but there is a what. The what is the big driver here. What are we working on? What kind of work are we working on? But defining and classifying that what is really important for you to start with. So remember we talked about in Scrum, you have different types of stories that we have. So we have some stories that will only involve UI. We have stories that will involve back-end code like database work, or we have stories that include database work, you know, integration layer type stuff and UI stuff. So you got these different types of stories based on what it is that you're having to produce. And I encouraged you to try to figure out what kinds of stories that your teams are working on so that you can get a better understanding of how to estimate and what to expect out of this new feature or this new widget that you're trying to do. Notice that the stories in Scrum that we're talking about are in a customer view, right? It's in first person for the customer. In Kanban, typically a little different. I'm not saying you can't have stories in Kanban. You can. There's no doubt you can, and there is a container for those or a classification for those I'll talk about in a minute. But... Um, there's some types of work items that should be classified, and that's kind of where you got to start. Now, you can call these whatever you want. You can deviate, but these are widely recognized as the standards. Naming conventions can be adapted into whatever you want, but uh, you'll kind of get the idea after I go through this and relate it to your organization in the best way. So the first one is you have something critical or extremely important, they may call it. So those are the things that you have to do, and they can't be hijacked. These are the things that take the higher priority. They take precedent over everything else. Now, remember, here's the rule. You have to finish what you started, right? Um, That's just a good rule of thumb. Just because somebody slides an item up in the priority in the to-do or the planned to-do column and wants you to jump on it, it doesn't mean you stop uh, stop doing what you're doing and work on this. Your WIP limits, work in progress limits, which I'll talk about in a minute, dictate... um, 
you know, what it is or what your gag factor is on how much you can be working on at a time. It's just a good policy to adopt that. Lots of folks are going to tell you you have to immediately jump on the extremely important or the critical work item type or classification. Um, They're going to tell you you just have to jump on that when it shows up on the board. But let me just caution you, that's going to usually lead you to overstocking your other lanes and prevent you from getting other things done. So what you're going to end up doing is you're going to have a bunch of stuff on the shelf that's not selling. You know, like in the case of going to the uh, going to the store, like we talked about. Now, remember this. There's no product owner. <laughs> There's nobody guarding the rails of this prioritization. So if that's the case, um, it's human nature, I think, you know, to have 27 hot items that are top priority in everybody's minds, right? My rule is we got three priorities, and even those priorities are prioritized. <laughs> if you've got 27 priorities, you don't have priorities, Okay. You just have an issue with understanding the term priority. And there's some expectation that you're not managing or setting up front if you have 27 priorities and they're not in any order. They're just all the priority. So does that give you an idea about that first classification, the critical or extremely important classification? Uh, you can even call it hot. You can call it whatever you want to. I don't care. Um, the second type of classification is a fixed delivery date or timeline. You know, it's time sensitive. This is a date. There is a due date involved with this, right? So features or stories or work items or whatever that have a deadline, they can have their own class or home classification like we're talking about right now, and they have to be completed in a defined date. So they can have um, like a parallel flow over other features or tasks or stories if necessary. Now, if you think in terms of like overall bandwidth with the board, you want to make sure you're defining these whip limits in a way that makes sense. And I've seen teams that consider the work lanes as like a full, the full amount of work lanes is 100%. Then you divide the lanes into percentages first, and then you apply the numbers for each of those items in the lanes for your whip limit. So, you know, I can have, um, you know, four in, you know, started, I can have three in development, I can have four in test, I can have five in peer review, you know, whatever the case might be, but those are the kind of whip limits that we're talking about, if you don't know what I mean. So, bug or defect is the next classification. So, bugs, defect, production issue, whatever it is, those are typically tasks that are non-billable, right? But um, they're the result of something that we did (laughs) wrong, or the customer sees it as an issue. So, they got to be fixed, right? Because we're going to lose adoption or we're broken and we're not getting done what it is that we need to get done successfully. So those have to be done. So there's no, um, you know, they're going to have a, a generally a higher priority as features or stories. Okay. Um, that's usually the way that they do it. Now, team may decide that, hey, all this is nonsense. Bugs and defects are the lower priority. Okay. If that's what you want to do, fine. You know, you got some you got some uh, latitude here to make these calls. The next one is like a standard class or a feature or a story, you know, whatever it is. I, I see the need to put stories in this classification, and it represents the task to solve a customer requirement, basically, or a customer need. Standard class is just something normal that we do. Now, first in, first out is something that we haven't really talked about a lot, but first in, first out is really what comes to mind when you talk about these things. You get, uh, you, you imagine the left side of your board is planned work or to-do. Um, you have different colored cards or different uh, nomenclature or whatever for your, for your classifications, and those items go in there. Um, you got the whole bulk in there. The ones that are in priority are the ones that you got to take first, but they're first in, first out. Okay, so getting that stuff kind of cleared up at the beginning on how you start 
Seems like it would be pretty important, right? So there's no timeline on stories. There's no timeline on features. There's no timeline on your standard class is what we call standard class. Um, when I think about um, when I think about these, because you've got this um, fixed date work type or uh, fixed delivery timeline classification already, right? I think about the things there that are like back-end changes that have to make a date in order to make the release or code freeze. Um, I usually think of things of more of an architectural runway level when I think of fixed date time uh, when we're planning that, or maybe even like a compliance or a regulatory item that's in need of attention, right? Those are the kinds of things that I think of when I think of fixed delivery date. When I think of stories or features, I'm thinking of standard class because all this other stuff is the stuff that you need in order to develop this other thing that you're putting on top of the base, right? Does that make sense? So I hope that helps. Um, then you finally have this intangible class or chore. This is just your, you know, uh, you know, it'd be nice if we could streamline or if we could optimize that database. Uh, if we could cut this thing down, you know, whatever. These are things that, you know, this isn't breaking us or anything. Um, <clears throat> they're kind of negligible t- tasks that, that, that have this because they're not urgent, right? It's just something that we would like to do, um, like a data optimization or a database optimization task. Um Little UI improvements, you know. Um, we have uh, we have to reword something on the UI, or there's a line and a border right here that we have to change. This is not. I know UI and UX folks are going to shoot me for saying this, but those are not high priority. Okay, I mean they are if they're out of consistency or whatever, or if it's just blaring at you. But if if somebody's fussing over the fact that a line is, you know three points and uh and it should be two and a half points in size i mean that's okay so y'all get what i'm product owners know exactly what i mean when i say that um you can escalate these um to urgent tasks and just have to be done tasks or whatever um if it's not considered if it's being um neglected you can move those up in priority so I hope that gives you kind of an idea, right, of what we're talking about. Uh, classification, that's the what. So the what is really what is driving the priorities that we are working on. And we're working on those priorities in the constraints of a work-in-progress limitation, okay? Now, in the next segment, I'm going to give you my thoughts on running a successful Kanban now that you have some idea of what a Kanban is. Um, and I'm going to hopefully help you in the realm of software development, try to help you with this journey. Spoiler alert, uh, spoiler alert, you're not going to be happy about it, <laughs> but I mean, you, you are going to be happy about it. I mean, you're going to get some content here and maybe a few tips, but, uh, but overall product owner and Kanban, they, it's, it's, it's difficult. You gotta, you got some waters to navigate here, dude. So hang tight. We'll get to the last segment. Thanks. So let's talk about how we can be successful here uh, with Kanban and, so, and software development. Now, I'm not talking to, I hope I'm not talking to anyway, the guys who have been around the block and have figured out your own things. If I am, great. Send me some feedback, man. Send me some tips and some uh, and some emails here and some content on what's been successful for you. I'd love to hear your stories and even share them here. Uh, and even if you want to do one of these episodes together, that'd be great. I look forward to that. So... The uh, first thing that I would recommend um, 
if you're a product owner moving into a role, right? If you're a product owner moving to a Kanban, or if you were a former product owner, in the case of someone who asked me this similar question, uh, who's moving to another group, and we're not really scrum, but we have all these tasks and we have these things to implement, I would say this is kind of for you, right? Um, so the first thing that I think is really important is that you have an agile coach that's either dedicated or at your disposal. Now, the recommendation for Kanban software development is that you have an Agile coach. So, I mean, I would take that recommendation. Um, the Agile coach is going to be the one that helps you um, stay in the rails, right? Stay in the lanes. The coach needs to be engaged with the entire team. And when I say the entire team, I understand the landscape of your larger organization because I have been in those, right? When I say the entire team, you want to include the development manager. You want to include the direct managers of the folks. You want to include anybody who's having any input to that not started or planned work column. Whoever it is that's trying to push the priority in there, that's I consider them to be an extension of the team. Um, because without having that role, the team really has no way to challenge and balance priorities and work classifications even. So... And I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying already. But in Utopia, Scott, the team decides and the work classifications provide the priority for us. It's based on the what. So what's the issue here, buddy? Look, let me level with you, okay? In case you're new to this game, the human factor plays a bigger role than what you think. The advantages of Kanban are simple. Reduce waste, improve cycle time, improve the cost of delay, Right. But the human factor says, my priorities are more important than your stinking classification indicates, and I'm going to game the system. So for those of you who happen to be in the land of unicorns and rainbows, I want you to understand that the only way you can really combat that anti-pattern or that really, quite frankly, divisiveness, right, is to deploy or employ an advocate for the health of the total effort. That's an Agile coach. Agile coach is the one who has to be able to play that role. Now, look, they don't have to be certified. They just have to be empowered. They don't have to be, um, they don't have to have all the initials following their name and all their certifications, all this stuff. They just have to be empowered. It's just someone who can provide a logical, lean, objective approach to what we're doing here, keep everything and everyone in the guardrails. I think of like an RTE, Right, An RTE can do this, an actual scrum master for this role. Perhaps somebody else in the organization has some other skills, like a project manager who may happen to be a part of your organization or your team. Unfortunately, product owner, unless you have some background in those kinds of things in that process area, you may not be a good fit for that Agile coach spot. Okay, So your role is to balance business and technology and ensure you're packaging a product to potentially ship. That's what your focus is, right? So this Agile Coach role is more of a process role. Now, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying you have to have some process background to make sure that you're managing that and mitigating some of the risk that you're going to incur because you will incur those risks, okay? <laughs> now, let's talk about the second thing. I think you need to build a successful combine with software development. Um in the last segment, we covered the classification model, and I'm sure you're um, you're all still kind of stuck on the question, why is it important to understand and why is it important to retain this classification model? Well, 
you got to get your classification model in place. I mean, you got to use it. You got to measure it, adjust it, wash, rinse, and repeat. Why is it so important? Well, because remember, there's no who behind the priority. There's a what. There's no product owner role described or prescribed in Kanban. It's a team effort. It's a swarm. Okay. We're going to work together to get the lanes cleared in a continuous cycle. These lanes are typically always full, <laughs> unlike what we see on the scrum board. You know, we we move items left to right on the scrum board at the end of the sprint. Everything's done, right? That's the obvious goal. Um, we have a time box. That's the scrum approach, right? In the Kanban, there's not. This is a continuous flow. So if you got a continuous flow of work, then you have a continuous flow of priorities. So you have to have some kind of control in place that says, these are the prioritized items that we have to work. Here's kind of our order of operations. Because if you don't, you're always going to be fighting fires. It's going to be reactive the whole time. Now, you may have goals and stories and features and bugs and all kind of work items, but they continuously flow from left to right. That's what I'm telling you. It's It doesn't stop. So you may ask, well, how in the world do we ever see any results out of this? Well, that's the kind of the third point I think here that's going to help make you successful in this and and that's what it brings me to and that's what I would definitely recommend. We've talked about this already uh, a little bit and this is something that I think is required if you're going to do a combine. You have to put whip limits in your lanes. You have to put work in progress limits on your lanes. It's already hard to see the light at the end of a combine tunnel. <laughs> It's, it's hard enough to see that already. But if you don't put whip limits on your progression, you're never going to see any end of the tunnel, right? You're going to be buried in debt. I mean, you're never going to get it through it. So this is not as difficult as you think it is, but it takes a certain level of transparency on the team to make it work. You don't overcommit. That's the thing. You can't overcommit because if you overcommit, you're never going to get it done. Don't say we can have five tasks in development and six in test if you're not capable of producing that. It's contrary to the pull system. I'm going to say why. Remember what we said about the pull system. The pull system prevents us from having waste on the shelf. It, it, it's a on-demand kind of thing. It's when we need it. It's not just in case we might need it, okay? It's what makes it contrary if you're trying to, you know, put 20 pounds of sugar into a five-pound bag, as an old friend of mine used to tell me. The mindset must be that you're gaining experience in cycle times of work produced and that that average is increasing. It's not about points. It's about work items. Make sure you understand that. So that's why it's important to have whip limits on your lanes. Okay. Now, finally, the thing that you need to make sure that you have in place and these four things that I'm talking about are not the only things, obviously, and you probably have some ideas now as you get a better, uh, you're better prepared for taking this on. I just think that these four are the things that are most important. I think it's equally important to have a plan on measuring your cycle time. There's an overall consideration of all of your stuff, right? But there's a work classification consideration that you have to take. In my opinion, I think you have to measure your cycle time for your work types, now, I'm not sure how much of this uh, you're going to find in a book or in a guide, um, but I have found it important to understand the work classification average throughput because improvement and optimization is key to any team approach. It never stops. It doesn't stop. It won't stop. It can't stop. We have to improve. We have to optimize. 
What is cycle time? Oh my God, what is he talking about? All right, cycle time starts when the team starts the work on the request and it ends when the product is delivered, when you're done, right? So we have different work classifications. Each of those have some kind of cycle time. So taking the average of those over the course of time is important for you to understand if you're gaining traction and improving or if you're falling victim to some obstacles or if your whip limits suck and they need to be adjusted, if your team's just getting burned out from doing redundant tasks all the time, (laughs) they're not innovating much anymore because they can't really see the end of the Kanban tunnel. So um, putting that, uh, uh, that, that approach and some strategy around cycle time and how you're measuring and what your hopes and fears are and how you're going to be effective and efficient and kind of what your baselines are, get an understanding of that and how often you're going to revisit it. So those are some of the things that I would recommend to you, product owner, if you're taking on a product owner role in a Kanban, which is really not described in the Kanban methodology, but that's okay. We're going to twist it to what we want. So let me give you some parting shots before we get off of this crazy, crazy, crazy planet today. <sighs> I hope that this has been enlightening to you. <laughs> I've had a question from a friend. I've had a question from a listener. I've had a question from someone in passing. I've had a question from another community that I'm a part of outside uh, to talk about this transition into a product owner role, but the plan was to run a Kanban team. A uh, question from another now friend and a listener, by the way, who moved from a product owner role into more of an implementation manager or coordinator. This Kanban thing can work for us, okay? But the one thing that I have learned is that, um, well, let me, let me say it this way. I, it, these things were, these these principles and methodologies were essentially derived from uh, the Japanese culture, right? I mean, Toyota was like the leader in all this stuff, right? So, and there's one thing that I've learned about Japanese culture, um, I've been there and done that too. Well, I haven't been actually to Japan, but I've worked in their plants. Okay. They focus on the human element. They focus on human kindness, sharing, uh, team improvement elements more than the actual items that are produced. That, that, that is true. And some of you who have worked in that realm know what I mean. This is where their value is. Now I know that I have listeners all over the globe and I'm not exaggerating. I'm serious when I say that you may be surprised. You, all my friends in Alabama wouldn't know that we've got, I've got listeners all over the, all over the world. But anyway, and I'm really happy about that too, by the way. So some of the audience outside of the U.S. here may not fully understand what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. So Toyota, who essentially blazed a trail for a lot of these lean concepts and principles, being a Japanese company, obviously, had a lot more cultural influence on what they were doing. Now, we in the U.S., have Americanized it like we do everything else, right? We always Americanize something. So the focus is not so much on the team, it's on the delivery. I guess it's good and bad, I don't know. I just think that as you enter into this, you maintain a focus on the human element and those relationships that you have because of process, um, you know, that that was there for improvement really has been bastardized, right? I mean, it, it can always improve pass, fail, change, adapt, inspect, whatever, but I would encourage you to put a higher value on the people over the value that you put on the process or the tools. Um, I hope this episode was helpful for you today and you were able to get some exposure, insight, maybe some tips, and you have some ideas now into how to get rolling into this different part of the journey. I wish you luck with it. And always, as always, shoot me an email at scott at plantproductowner.org for feedback or questions. Until next time, have a safe and fun lean journey, my friends. Mm-hmm.